Open our Bibles to Philippians. Little review, we know that this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, written while he was under house arrest, thus it's one of the uh, so-called prison epistles, uh, while he was under arrest in Rome. And uh, this book, as we're going to start reading it today, uh, written to real people in a real place where he went on his second uh, missionary journey. And he went, if you recall, in response to God's direction. And first it started out by closed doors, and then it was open doors. And uh, I read uh, somewhere that uh, someone said, you know, uh, God not only guides our steps, but he guides our stops too. And sometimes he has to stop us, and then he can direct us into something else. So there was that man, of uh, the vision of the man of Macedonia standing, begging for help. There were people, you remember the people we looked at last week whose lives were changed by, changed by God. There was Lydia, the businesswoman whose heart, it says, the Lord opened to respond to the message. God worked in her, and she, her, she and her family believed. They were baptized, and then they began to serve. They believed, they were baptized, they began to serve. Um, anybody remember what happened next? Who was the next person in the, in the uh, scene the servant girl who was uh, set free from a demonic spirit. She was possessed by a spirit of divin a divination. And Paul, because of the distraction, she was taking the attention off of Jesus. Even though she was saying the right words, she was taking the attention off Jesus and onto herself. And through the power of Jesus' name, Paul set her free. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Keep that in mind. Now, this caused a lot of trouble. You'd think it would cause uh, rejoicing, but it caused a lot of trouble because the, 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 the girl's owners, they lost the income that she generated. And, and so Paul and Silas, they're stripped and beaten with rods. They're thrown into prison. And then there's that verse in the middle of chapter 16 where it says that around midnight they were in the, that prison cell, that dark, and it was it was to be kept very secure and, and double-chained down there. And, uh, but at midnight, it says they were praying and singing hymns to God. That just, like, blows my mind. You know, what a challenge. And, and, and why? You have to ask the, the question, why that happened? Well, again, I think it's because of what God was doing. They had their eyes in the right place so they could have the joy. They weren't looking at the chain on their foot. They weren't looking at the, you know, the water dripping down the walls or the, you know, <clears throat> the little hash marks that people were writing on the walls. They weren't looking at all those things. They were looking at what God was doing. And, and even though they're now locked in prison, they knew God was doing something. And then God sends this earthquake. The doors open. You know the rest of the story. The chains were loosed. And then, and then this jailer. You see, God still had a plan even for them to be in that prison and and you say, well, God, how did I end up here in this place? And, and, and uh, you know, I didn't do anything bad. I didn't do anything wrong. And here I am. And the jailer and his family, they come to faith in Christ through these circumstances. And, and, and the jailer comes to Paul and he asks that incredible question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? That's the question of all the ages. And Paul answered, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So he and his family believed, they were baptized, and they began to serve as well. They took Paul home and, and you know, took care of all the wounds and stuff and fed them and everything. 
So this is where the church at Philippi, uh, I hope you can have in your mind, when you think of the word, uh, when, the, when you think of the book Philippians, you think back to Acts chapter 16, that this is where it all started. This is where it all began. Real people in a real place. Now, I have a question for you that perhaps you've heard before. The question is, are we there yet? Any of you ever hear that question? Are we there yet? It's just a common question, and, and you know, it's not just little kids that say that, right? I mean, I say it. Like, are we there yet? I read a, in a little devotional uh, this morning. Uh, um, I can't even remember if it was the middle of the night or yesterday. I don't rem- remember when, but it said that, that the Lord got them to their destination. But before you get there, the, that question, like, are we there yet? You ever wonder about your own life? I know I do, and, and uh, the truth of the matter is that we're not there until we're there. That's, that's profound, isn't it? <laughs> Deep, she said. Deep. But we're not there yet, and our lives are like that. There, there's this word, and, and uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really use big words uh, that often because I, I don't really know what they mean, but if you throw them out, sometimes people will think you know what they mean, and so this word dichotomy, you know what that word means? Dichotomy. It, 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 I can't give you the textbook definition of these words. I kind of know what they mean in some cases, but I couldn't tell you. But it, it, I, I think, let me see if I get this right. It's like two things that are both true at the same time, right? Two things that are both true at the same time. And, and why do I bring that up? It's because the fact is, what, what I want to see here in the book of Philippians is that that their lives were changed and that our lives have been changed, have been in the past changed, and yet at the same time, we're being changed. And they're both true. We've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been changed. The cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. It's, it's secure. But at the same time, in our lives, we know this. Like, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. We're still being changed. We're still in process. We're still on the way, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, this, this letter was written about 10 years or so, 10 or 11 years after Paul and Silas first went there, right? So let's look at uh, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. It's like a, a, a typical letter of written in that time. They'd start out with who it was from. We write at the very end of the letter who it's from. You know, we sign down there. But then, then they write to it's, who it's to as well. And so we see it's from Paul and Timothy, who he calls themselves servants of Jesus Christ. Now, one of, my, um, one of the things that I want to I keep in mind as we go through the four chapters of this book, and we're not going to go all through four chapters today, just don't worry. Some of you are worried about that. Um, you know, he was talking about Evan taking a long time to go through doing this project. I was thinking, you know, he's probably still in Matthew, right? <laughs> I bet he's still in Matthew. You know, I know what that's like. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But these four chapters, really, the nickname, what's this called? It's called the Epistle of Joy. The Epistle of Joy. And really, the, the, uh, the word joy, if you break it down, it, be, it 
you know, I'm sure many of you heard this before, and I think there's a lot of truth in that in this that Jesus comes first, then others, and then yourself third. It's not that you don't take care of yourself, you're not having any concerns for yourself. You, but, but Jesus comes first, then others, then yourself. And this is kind of what puts it together. And, and the first thing he talks about here in this letter is that they were servants of who? Of Christ Jesus. Jesus was number one. Listen, we're just servants and he's number one. He's the guy. He's number one. Jesus is first. The name Jesus or Christ or Christ Jesus is used about 36, time, 36 time, times in only about 100 verses. He had his eyes in the right place. That's what we see in the life of Paul. That's why in the prison he could talk like that. Now, uh, he could sing and, and pray like that. Timothy, he mentioned now, I want to just speak about Timothy for a second. He was one of Paul's co-workers, and he, he uses Timothy's name here in the opening. And Timothy, we didn't look at it, but in the beginning of chapter 16 of Acts, Timothy comes into the picture, and Timothy actually joined Paul and Silas before they got to Philippi, on that journey. And so Timothy was there, you see, when they went to Philippi. He knew those people. He knew Lydia. He knew the servant girl. He knew the, the, uh, the jailer and, and all the families of all those people there. So, so you see the very real connections that take place in the Word of God and, and, and what happened. These are real accounts of real people and how they all are connected together. So Paul and Timothy's servants of Christ Jesus. We could just stop there and we could just say, you know, if, if, if we get that right, we're going to be okay. If, we be, if we're just servants of Christ Jesus, we're going to be okay. If he's number one, we know we're just going to serve him, do whatever he says. We, we looked uh, weeks back, you know, in the Old Testament about how, you know, a servant, if he wanted to, if he was to be set free, but he wanted to stay with his master, what he would do, he would, he would go to the doorpost and he would take an awl and they would take an awl and put it through his ear lobe into the doorpost because he said, you know what, I want to stay with you because I love you and I want to follow you and I want to do whatever you said. That's the kind of servant that Paul's talking about here where he just says, I'm yours no matter what. I don't want to go anywhere else. To whom else shall we go? Like Peter said. So, <clears throat> servants of Christ Jesus, and he's writing to the saints, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Again, Jesus is the most important thing, but, but the second thing here is to the saints, to the people that he's writing to. These were real people that he knew. And so I see in that the others that he's talking about, first Jesus and then the others. And, and so he calls them saints, and you go, wow, I don't know about all that stuff, you know. He, why does he call them saints? You know, did they have the, the voting process and you had to do certain things to, to uh, uh, attain sainthood? How many of you know about that? You gotta, you, there's certain things you got to do, right, to become a saint, right? Is that what he's saying here? Is that the Word of God doesn't teach that? I, I hate to say. The Word of God says that they were saints. He's writing to the saints. Why were they saints? They were saints because they were in Christ Jesus, not some vote, voting process, not certain things they did, but because they were in Christ Jesus. And, and that's a, a big point of, that Paul makes throughout all of his letters of being in Christ, that we are in Jesus. And because we are in Him, that's, 
That's what makes the difference in our lives. You say, well, does that mean that if what you're saying is that I'm a saint, if I'm a Christian, if I am in Christ, then I am a saint? I know that for us, that's hard to like... Ah. That gets back to what I started saying about we're changed, but we're also being changed, right? We are saints. We are made saints, and the word saint means to be set apart. It doesn't have the picture that you and I have a picture of when we see, we can see a little picture of saint so-and-so or a medallion or whatever it might be, saint so-and-so or, or whatever. No, it's those that have been set apart, set apart in Jesus Christ, changed by the Spirit of God. In the, in the theological terminology, just to throw this out, they call it positional sanctification, meaning that's where you are, who you are in Christ. That you're in that place, you've been changed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, some of you were like that over there, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You, these things are in the past, they took place when you were born again. By the Spirit of God. I know what you're thinking, though, because I think the same thing, that a saint I ain't. Right? How many of you thinking that? A saint I ain't. But if you're, if you're in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You've been set apart. You've been set apart because that's who you are. The, the enemy comes along and says, well, no, you're nothing. But... But God comes along and says, I see you because you're in Jesus Christ and you're one of my chosen saints, set apart. Now, are we there yet? In one sense, we are. Because that's not going to change, you see. That's not based upon whether you ever sin or don't sin, you see. It's never based upon that. It, it will never be based upon that. It was never based upon that in the past. It's always based upon what Jesus said. It is finished upon the cross there. That's what it's based upon. It's not based upon whether you, you know, sinned today, whether you did this or did that or the other thing. Now, does that matter? Well, it, of course it matters because we should live like who we are, right? We should, our, our actions should live up to what God has made us to be. But are we there yet? Well, not quite. We'll come back to that in a minute. He's writing here to the saints in Christ Jesus, to the, together with the overseers and the deacons, and these, these overseers and deacons were the leaders in the church. So he, he mentions the, the saints first, all the people, and then you had the leaders, the overseers, were uh, those that would, well, oversee. That's pretty easy to figure out, right? Used interchangeably with the term elder, and they would watch out over the flock of God. They were called to keep an eye out. They were called to teach and preach. They were called to shepherd, to watch out and guard the flock and the teaching from error. The overseer had this role. And God raises up people to do that, to be these men who would be overseers. The second one he uses there is deacons, and, and deacons really would take the, the practical needs of the church. And are one better than the other? Of course not. They're, they're all just part of the body of Christ and take care of the practical needs that the, that the others could give their, for their full attention, as we see in Acts 6, to the Word of God and to prayer. 
And they're both very important, both very important. Maybe you think, well, I can't preach and teach, but maybe you can do something practical. Or maybe you can't do anything practical. You don't even know how to lift a paintbrush, but, but God has given you a gift in the Word of God and, and prayer. You've got to find what God's called you to do and then just do what He's called you to do. Verse 2, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of his standard greetings, he starts with grace and he goes to peace. And it's been pointed out by many that grace comes first and then peace second. And this unmerited favor of God's grace and then because we receive his grace, then we can have peace. Peace with God, the peace of God. Verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, I was thinking about that verse 3. says, I thank my God every time I remember you. You know, can we say that? Or is that said about us? Every time someone remembers you, they say, oh, thank God for that brother, that sister. <laughs> and you're thinking, Saint Diane, I already told you that. I already, you already know. Well, maybe we're not there yet. But, but again, I think Paul kind of looked at things a little bit differently. He didn't think those people were perfect back there. But he says, why could I thank my God? Why could I pray for them all with joy? Because they had partnership in the gospel. Because they were part of the family. You know, some of our family members, you know what? Maybe we don't like them so much, but we love them. And their family. The partnership in the gospel. He, uh, uh, one man said this, it's a lovely thing when remembrance and gratitude are bound up together. It's nice when it's that way, but it's not always that way, is it? But Paul had that with the Philippians, and, and he prayed. And, he, and, and here's the first word, uh, use of this word joy in this letter, this epistle of joy, and, and look what it's uh, connected to. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray for joy or pray with joy. So what's it connected to? Me being happy? No, it was, it was him praying for others. Of course, he knew who he was praying to, Jesus first. He's praying to Jesus, of course, but he's praying for other people. And, and it's not out of duty. It's not because he had to, but he thought about those people. He loved those people. He had connection. He had uh, fellowship with them, and he, and he prayed for them. And, and I think, you know, even the people we don't like, there's something about it. And I was, I was challenged by this, and I, and I read someone talking about this, you know, that... that uh, when we begin to pray for people, and I've discovered this in the past too, that when you, when, you're, when you have a problem with someone, you begin to pray for them and begin to pray God's blessings upon them. Well, well, things happen. Things happen with them, but also things happen where? Right in here. And, and you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that don't bring us a lot of joy out there, but, but Paul began to pray for those people, and he did love those people. But, but David Guzik, the pastor, and he's now in Santa Barbara, California, he said this, one might simply say that when Paul prayed for the Philippians, he became happy. It is remarkable to see that Paul's first reference to his own feelings or frame of mind in this letter is that of joy 
though he, wo- though he wrote from prison in a possible soon execution. His first feelings that he wrote about were, oh, you know, things are really bad for me. And he does say that in different places. But his first things that come out here are joy because he's praying for these people, though he knew his, his days uh, were definitely uncertain. Could you and I pray like that for other people? I think we can. I think we can. Just ask yourself, well, is there somebody, you know, I'm, I'm consumed with myself right now. And I was thinking when you put the, the word joy backwards, what do you have? I don't know. You have yoj. And if you leave Jesus out, you have yo. And that's pretty dumb, right? But when you're all consumed by yourself, if you could just say, listen, there may be someone that I can pray for that, that needs my prayers right now, and, and we begin to focus on different things. Put Jesus, Jesus, I, I want to think about what you have done and who you are, and, and I want to come to you with these other people. And, and, and I, think, I think what we find is that our hearts begin to change. He changes our hearts. This is now 10 years later, and he says, your partnership in the gospel in verse 5, from the first day until now. He went back to that day, and he knew that, that, that something changed in their lives. There was a starting point. That, that time back in Acts chapter 16 where they believed and they were baptized and they began to serve, there's something happened in their lives. And, and I think Jesus explains that you're born again by the Spirit of God. Something happened, something very real happened deep within them. And now 10 years later, he's saying, you know what? We're still going along the path, right? Are we there yet? Have we gotten to the end yet? No, we haven't. 10 years later, but, but we're still, in, we're still on, the, on the journey, right? We're still going. We're still in process. We're making progress. Sometimes we, we, you know, we go two steps forward and one back, or maybe the other way around, one step forward, two back. You know, we're like that. We're, we're in these, these bodies of flesh. But I tell you what, this key verse, which is the last verse I'm going to look at this morning, in, in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a, a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Are we there yet? No, but we're on the path. He says, I am confident of this. Paul the Apostle said he was confident, and to him it was something he was sure of. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says something very similar 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. A couple of verses before that, that, that uh, our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. In verse 12, He says, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I am convinced he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. He's able to do it, you see. That's what it says here back in Philippians, that he... 
He who began a good work, I'm convinced that he's able to finish it and do it. Notice back in Philippians that it's, that it's God's work and it's good work. It's, God, it's God's work and it's good work. It's still work, though. And that's the struggles and the, the, the problems that we go through because there is a sense of work in it because he's doing And when you work on a project, you get the tools out right and you do what needs to be done. And sometimes it's not very comfortable, especially there's a lot of filing going on, chiseling. Maybe it's even worse than that. He's got like the whole chainsaw out. I can still remember seeing the dust in here when uh, guys were running around with those, those what kind of saws were those? Sawzalls, yeah, and, and they were like busting this place all apart, and it's, you know, I'm going like, whoa. And sometimes it feels like that in our own lives, that God's, you know, what is going on? But God's doing a work, and it's a good work. And God sees the finished project project you see God sees what's going to happen he knows what he's doing it's a good work he's working in you and I like this because he says he's working in us and it's an inside job and like the song we just sang he works from the inside out he doesn't like get us all together you're going to you know you're going to dress just right you're going to act just right you're going to do all that and then after that we'll start working on your heart he says no forget about all that first I'm going to work on the inside He's at work in us, and He's at work in you, if you're one of His. Are we there yet? No, but He's working on it. He's working on you. He's working on me. Look at chapter 2, verse 13 of Philippians. People misunderstand the verse before where it says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, you know, that means i got to work out, you know, i got to earn my salvation. It's all based on works. Well, it's not. Because look what it says in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. All, 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 all that's happening is the salvation that God has within us is starting to work itself out in our lives. It started to, to catch up again, like we said earlier, about, about uh, the outside catching up to what's happening already on the inside. But it's God, notice there in that verse, it's God who works in you to will. What does that mean? To will, what you want, and to act, what you do. God's working in you about the things that, that even like what we want in life, what we desire, and, what, and then what we do in life because of the decisions and choices we make according to His good purpose, according to His pleasure. So, He's begun a good work in you. We're not there yet. He's starting the work. He started the work, and, and for them it was a, a point in time that first day until now, there was something that already took place. They're changed by the Spirit of God by being in Christ Jesus, but now they're being changed by the Spirit of God as well. When is it going to be finished? What does it say there back in Philippians 1.6? When is it going to be done? Isn't it, can it just be done and then, you know, I can live peacefully for, you know, a period of time and, and just kind of coast and cruise for a while? Because, like, I really don't like all this change and all this stuff that has to, like, happen inside of me. You know, I, I, I've been a Christian 35 years and, and, you know, like, 
I should know that by now. I should like have gotten that part together, I think, by now. You know, and, and like kind of going through this trial and turmoil and, and, and trust and faith and, and how do you get through, you know. But, but no, God's not finished yet. He's not finished with me. Maybe he's finished with you, and I'd like to talk to you about that. <laughs> because here it says it's not going to be finished. He'll, he'll carry it on to completion, you know, in the day of Christ Jesus, the day either he returns or the day he takes us home to be with him. Until then, it's not finished. But the nice thing about it is that God finishes. He, when he starts something, he will always finish it. Not like you and me. How many of you have, have unfinished projects at home right now? And you walk around and you just like put blinders on. I can't like look anymore. I can't see. No, no. Because there's so many. They're adding up. You know, I've got to finish that. Oh, oh, I gotta. But God says, you know, he, 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 his eyes are wide open. He says, I'm doing a work in you and, and it's going to be finished. It's going to be finished. But, but not, not yet. The truth of the matter is that only what he does will last anyways. The only the things that he does will last. If you and I do it, it might last a little while. The last point I want to make um, about this passage is the question, what is the good work? What is that good work that he's going to bring to completion? And primarily, primarily, there's a lot of stuff that he's doing in this, obviously. It's, it's, it's complicated, you know, they say. It's complex, but there's one primary thing that he's doing in this. Anybody know what that is? Anybody want to guess? Exactly. Good job. No donuts this week, sorry. The good work he's doing is to make us more like Jesus. To make us more like Jesus. Primary number one job that he's doing in us. Make us more like Jesus. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll prove it. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. It says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Some versions say from glory to glory, step by step to be made more like Jesus Christ uh, the Apostle John says that, actually, let's turn there because I want you to see that dichotomy is there as well. Uh, in 1 John chapter 3, now it's just before uh, the Revelation, James, Peter, John, Jude, and then Revelation. So 1 John, just before Jude and Revelation. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You're going to see it here. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Not, we're, we're not becoming children of God. We are. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know 
that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see that? Do you see the, the both things there? We are right now the children of God, but we're still, we still, you know, we still got, got to get to that point when he appears or when we go to be with him, we're going to be like him. Why? Because this is what God's doing in us to make us like him. And, and then everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. There's things we need to like, you know, do, obviously. So we're changed. We're changed by being in Christ Jesus, but we're being changed to be more like Christ Jesus. That's important for you to think about that and remember that. Now, the, the overarching um, concept over all this is that God is faithful. And that, and that, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. It gives me hope that, that we're not there yet, but we will be one day. And it gives me help, too, to know that I'm not on my own, that God is working in me. And, and you're not on your own. God is working in you. So you can have hope in knowing that you also have help, that God is doing the work. And it's not something that you have to do yourself. Though we have to cooperate and we have to be obedient, no doubt about it. We're going to close with, with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Galatians, excuse me, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians... Colossians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. For Jim quote this, uh, this second verse here. When you hear God's word and God, people, you know, quote God's word, there's something about it that it, they're so powerful. God's word is living and active in it, and it sticks with you when you hear it as well as when you read it. But look in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.